Hello everyone and thank you for stopping by the coffee break. I'm your host Leon L. And tonight we're going to be discussing several things. Uh, American uh, hauntings. Places that are supposed to be haunted. Um, The first story I got here is uh, the Bell Witch Cave. It's in Adams, Tennessee. A few accounts of ghostly phenomenon in American history can compare to that of the Bell Witch. Beginning in 1871 and lasting nearly four years, the Bell family was plagued by disturbing experiences in their home. What began as simple yet inexplicable raping and scratching noises quickly escalated to violent personal attacks. When the entity responsible for the anguish found its voice, it claimed to be the witch of Kate Batts, a former neighbor, uh, a former neighbor of John Bell's. Uh, I guess they had bad business uh, dealings. Uh, John fell ill and would eventually die all at the hands of the witch, who was more than willing to take credit for his demise. The spirit left the family in peace for several years, only only to return to taunt them again for weeks. Whether or not the ghost was the spirit of Kate Betts or something more far more sinister, nobody really knows. But it's speculated that when it retur- retreated, it took up residence in a cave close to the Bell home near the Red River. Many who visit the cave today report experiences such as hearing the sound of footsteps seeing apparitions, and even feeling as though they have been pushed or slapped. Some believe the ghost of Kate Kate Betts is the culprit, while others believe the cave's famous resident was never a human at all. Uh, Next story I got is uh, Waverly Hills Sanatorium, Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, It says this massive structure was built in 1926 to house and treat patients afflicted with tuberculosis a disease that grippled much of the nation, but was prominently among the residents of Louisville. Hundreds of patients were admitted and treated for this disease, but many of them did not survive. Treatments were not only painful, and usually they were often deadly. Bodies were removed via the bloody chute, which was a tunnel leading from the back of the building down a hill to a railway where they are kept out of sight of their surviving patients. Uh, by 1943, advance in medicine had nearly uh, had nearly uh, eradicated the disease in the U.S. and the sanitarium closed a year later. It was reopened at the Woodhaven uh, Sanitarium and would remain in operation until 1982, when conditions and budget cuts led to uh, closings of this facility. Uh, it was shut down permanently in 1982. Waverly Hills has exchanged hands a number of times over the years, but one thing remains consistent. Visitors to the building continually experience a wide range of paranormal phenomenon, from hearing despondent voices, feeling uh, presence, to seeing shadow figures move from room to room, with so much in death and suffering that occurred within its walls. Is any wonder that the sanitarium is considered one of the most haunted locations in the country. Uh, The Myrtle's Plantation. Uh, This plantation was originally built in 1794 and in many years since has become a home of ghostly legend, the most famous of which tells a jaded house slave named Chloe, who knowingly or not poisoned her master's wife and children. Another tale includes the tragic death 
a previous owner, William Winter, who was shot on the porch of the house and then wounded. He made his way into the house and up the staircase to the 17th step where he collapsed and died in the arms of his beloved. While stories such as these would certainly support the claims of paranormal activity within the home, uh, they are unfortunately untrue. No record exists of Chloe, and those she allegedly poisoned all died at different times from yellow fever. William Winter was indeed shot, but died immediately and did not stumble into the house. Even so, there are a few guests, uh, even though there are a few ghosts of the Deep South that have made the Myrtles their home, the apparition of the African-American woman wearing a green bonnet has been seen and photographed on the premises. Children are often seen playing in and around the house and peering in the windows. The grand piano on the first floor often plays on its own, only to stop as soon as someone enters the room to investigate. The legends of the Myrtles may not be accurate, but one thing remains true. It is a home with deep history that continues to haunt visitors to this day. Uh, the Limp Mansion, St. Louis, Missouri. The Limp family began building their empire in the beer brewing business in St. Louis in 1838. Driven and quite successful, the Limps enjoyed many prosperous, many wonderful years in the industry. But with success always came hardship. Death would first visit the family when it came for William Limp Sr., eldest son, Frederick, in 1901. And at the age of 28 years of age, his health rapidly deteriorated and he passed away leaving his father completely devastated. Uh, unable to pull himself out from underneath the sadness, William retired to his room in the family home on the morning of February 13, 1904 and shot himself with a 38 caliber, caliber revolver. His daughter Elsa Limp Wright uh, would follow in his footsteps in 1920. After struggles with a rocky marriage and the decline of the family business, the Limp plant was eventually sold to the International Shoe Company which devastated William Limp Jr. by December of 1922. Will had slipped into a terrible depression and social withdrawal, and he took to his and he took uh, his own life in the Limp family home. The remaining Limp brothers, Charles and Edwin, were largely involved in other ventures, but tragedy would reduce the family yet again. In May of 1949, Charles was found dead in the home. He loved a victim of a self-inflicted gunshot wound and would pass away as a state in Kirkwood at the age of 90 in 1970. Uh, the family home was sold after Charles's passing and while it briefly served as a boarding house, it fell into despair until 1975 when it was purchased and remodeled as a restaurant and inn by Dick Pointer. During renovation, the Pointer family experienced phantom footsteps and voices in the house. Restaurant staff had reported seeing apparitions appear and vanish at will, glasses flying from the shelves, and hearing the bar piano play entirely on its own. In 1980, an article appearing in Life magazine named the Lip Mansion as one of the most haunted houses in America. Uh, the Battlefield of Gettysburg, that's in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, Famous haunts across the country attract large numbers of ghost hunters every year, but few of them can compare to the allure and reputation of Gettysburg. 
three, ble three bloody days of battle during the Civil War in June of 1863 resulted in a large number of casualties, and this small town was ill-prepared to handle the fallout. Nearly one-third of all the soldiers engraved, engaged in battle here were dead by the end of the third day. Uh, a loss leaving the bodies strewn in all directions. The wounded were treated in homes and businesses that were made into makeshift hospitals where the dead were exposed to and rotten in the Pennsylvania summer heat. The suffering and death that occurred in these fields in local homes and the surrounding areas has left a lasting impression on the land. It is evident by the sheer number of paranormal encounters that are experienced and recorded here. It is said that when the ladies of Gettysburg traveled through town following the battle, their only relief was from the overwhelming stretch or stench of death where sentin, sentin handkerchiefs pressed tightly to their faces. Phantom smells of peppermint and vanilla are experienced by visitors even to this day. Apparitions seem to frequent homes and various other buildings. Desponding voices and the sounds of war still linger in the air. The most active location in Gettysburg is an area called the Devil's Den. Visitors find it difficult to keep their electronic gear up and running. Uh, failure is common here in electronics. Many people have often encountered a man against amongst the boulders who approaches to speak with them and suddenly vanishes. Soldiers are seen, gunfire is heard, and the weight of devastation that occurred here is quite often felt. Those who visit the battlefields of Gettysburg come hoping for an encounter with those on the other side and few are disappointed. Uh, Stanley Hotel, uh, they made a movie, movie about that, The Shining is based on the Stanley Hotel. I guess the story goes about that is that uh, Stephen King stayed there, uh, stayed there a night in that motel or that hotel, and he experienced uh, paranormal activity, and that's what gave him the um, uh, the thing to uh, write that uh, script for that movie. Uh, so the, this beautiful and historic hotel, which sits in a uh, community of Estates Park has been home to ghostly activity experienced by staff and guests alike for years. Fame writer Stephen King was so impressed by the hotel that it came the inspiration behind his novel, The Shining. No one knows exactly when activity began in the hotel or why, but experiences have been a part of the hotel's mystique. Nearly every room has been host to one phenomenon or another. Though most of the activity seems to occur on the fourth floor, Guests often report that items are uh, inexplicably moved in their rooms and children are heard at odd hours running and playing in the hallways. F.O. Stanley of Stanley Steamer fame and his wife Flora opened the hotel in July of 1909, but neither seem to have left it behind. It is not unusual for guests and the staff to briefly encounter F.O. walking through the lobby and the sound of the piano playing in its own and the music room is often attributed to Flora. The beauty and comfort of the Stanley Hotel attracts hundreds of people every year. If you count those who remain unseen. Uh, the Winchester uh, Mystery House. 
the Winchester Mystery House. It's about a lady who uh, believed, well, first of all, she was part of the Winchester uh, uh, gun family that, that made all these all these guns and rifles and everything back in the day. Well, she believed that if she didn't stop adding on to her house, that the spirits would get her from all the people that was killed by Winchester rifles. So she kept adding and adding and adding, and she wouldn't stop. She she even built doors that went nowhere. So you might open a door and there's a wall there. It's not, you know, it's just, it's a very strange lady, but that's what she believed. she built, she built uh, stairs that would be blocked. Uh, the cruiser built this thing 24-7. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It was nonstop. Um, it says here that haunted houses are interesting, but there aren't any in existence that can compare to the oddity of the Winchester Mystery House. The story begins with the birth of Sarah party in 1839 to a family in New Haven, Connecticut. At the age of 23, Sarah married William Wirt Winchester, heir to the Winchester Rifle Empire. Life seemed to be going well until disaster struck four years later. Sarah had given birth to her first and only child, Annie, but the infant fell ill and passed away a mere nine days later. Sarah drew inward from the loss and struggled to regain a balanced emotional footing in uh, balanced emotional footing in 1881 Sarah lost her husband William to tuberculosis which only added to her agony urged by a friend to visit a spiritualist medium for guidance Sarah was told that a terrible curse loomed above her family for all the deaths the Winchester rifles had been responsible for the medium relayed to Sarah that her husband wished for her to move on and build a home she could inhabit with the spirits of those who lost their lives to the weapon. In order to remain living, Sarah needed to keep construction on the home constant. If she ceased, she would die. Sarah and her vast fortune moved west, eventually setting in California's Santa Clara Valley in 1884. She purchased an existing six-bedroom house resting on 162 acres and immediately began construction on her new home. As time passed, the house continued to grow. Crews worked around the clock to add entire wings, doors that were joined to windows. There were countless staircases that led nowhere, a blind chimney that stopped short of the ceiling, closets that opened to blank walls, trap doors, double back hallways, doors that opened to steep drops to the lawn below, and dozens of other oddities. Sarah also maintained a connection to the spirits in her home by communicating with them in a seance room she had constructed for that purpose. After one such session, on September 4, 1922, Sarah retired to her bedroom where she passed away at the age of 83. The mansion is now a California historical landmark, and many believe that the spirits Sarah worked so hard to appease still occupy the house. Inexplicable footsteps, banging doors, strange lights, and cold spots are just a few of the things reported to have occurred in the home over the years. Uh, Bachelors Grove Cemetery, Chicago, Illinois. This cemetery sits on land first set aside for burial in 1844, now largely abandoned, abandoned and sheltered by trees on the edge of the woods forest preserve 
This piece of land has become fairly well known for the accounts of paranormal activity. It has produced over the years since the last record burial in 1989. Problems arose in the 1960s when vandalism and decay descended on the cemetery. Headstones were broken, stolen, and defaced. Caskets were, un- were unearthed and bones strewn above the ground. About the ground. Rumors of occult rituals taking place also began to surface. Today, the cemetery is unkept, overgrown, and surrounded by a large chain-link fence, which has proven to be a poor deterrent for anyone determined to end their premises. The apparition of a horse has been seen emerging from a small uh, pond near the rear barrier of the cemetery, pulling a plow and driven by the ghost of a man who had allegedly drowned when the horse plunged into the pond, dragging him under. The apparition of a woman wandering aimlessly around the cemetery holding an infant has been a common sight, though this she seems unaware or perhaps dis, disherded uh, in act, interacting with anyone who encounters her. The surrounding area seems to be equally active as phantom vehicles have appeared only to vanish on the nearby roadway. For several decades, individuals have reported the appearance of a phantom farm horse appearing and disappearing from sight in various locations nearby as well. Many cemeteries are often rumored to be haunted. The phenomenon experienced at Bachelors Grove leave little doubt that it is. Yorktown Memorial Hospital, and this is in Yorktown, Texas. Tucked away in a small south Texas town sits a privately owned vacant building that was once the Yorktown Memorial Hospital. Built in 1950 and operated by the Sisters of the Roman Catholic Church, the hospital remained in operation until it closed its doors in the late 1980s. It was reported that close to 2,000 people passed away in this building, and over the years, stories of strange occurrences have poured out from within its walls. Caretakers of the property often see and hear sounds from within as though the hospital were still in working order, women crying out as if in labor, the groans of individuals in a great deal of pain, and shadowy figures moving from room to room are commonly experienced. Investigators who had reportedly visited the building report uh, encountering spirits who have identified themselves on several occasions and seem to recognize them upon their return engaging in lengthy conversations via electronic voice phenomena, EVP, and the use of trans-telecommunications devices, orbs of light seen with the naked eye, have been witnessed moving about the halls and doorways of Yorktown, and the activity within is no less active in the daylight hours than it is at night. While no one knows exactly what sets this hospital building apart from others, One thing remains clear, Yorktown is one of the most constant, active, paranormal locations in America. Uh, The Visalia Axe Murder House in Visalia, Iowa. Uh, This story here, um, I read something about this, actually not too long ago about this. Um, It was about a family, uh, if I can remember parts of it, it was about a family who got murdered the night before in their house. they I guess they had guests staying, staying over. Uh, all of them, I guess, were axed to death. Um, anyways, I'll read the story to you here. I, I vaguely kind of remember it. 
Um, it says on the morning of June the 10th, 1912, the bodies of eight individuals, eight individuals were discovered. Uh, they were discovered and they were blood soaked in the Moore family home in the tight knit community of Visla, JB, of Visla, Visla, Iowa. J.B. Moore with his wife, Sarah, their four children, Herman, Catherine Boyd and Paul were all murdered. Their skulls crushed with an ax. Along with Lena and Inna Stingliger, two young girls who had spent the night, J.B. Moore's brother Ross had been alerted by neighbor Mary Peckham, who became concerned about the family's well-being when she realized there was no activity in the usually busy home. Uh, Ross' discoveries of the body sent the community reeling as uh, nothing quite like this had ever happened before in this town. News spread quickly and soon the house was overrun with those curious about the murders, which likely destroyed whatever evidence there might have been. While there were several suspects in the case, is unfortunate. it was unfortunately never solved and remains a mystery to this day. In the years that have passed since the grisly discovery, the Moore home has had various owners and tenants, but in 1994 it was purchased and restored as closely as possible to its original condition by Darwin, Darwin and Martha Lynn. Individuals who have stayed in the house have reported waking to the sound of children's voices when there were no, no children present at the time. Children's laughter, moving objects, and strange banging sounds are just a few of the expectations, a few of the experiences many have had in the Visla Axe Murder House. Um, that's a few of the American haunting stories that are online that you could look up. Now, if you plan on visiting some of these places, because I know not all of them you could actually and go and visit. You probably have to get some kind of some kind of uh, authorization to go in some of these places. Um, some of these are like I guess some of these are a, be, a bed and breakfast type thing. Um, but my suggestion would be if you do want to go to some of these places that are supposed to be off limits, uh, have you might want to uh, check it out before you head out there. Um, I want to thank everybody tonight for stopping in to the coffee break. Uh, my, my name is uh, Leon L. I'm your host. Um, I'm going to uh, look at something else here. Um, I'm going to look up the... the uh, uh, let me go back there. We'll look up the X House Murders. Um, this is a story based in 1928. Um, it's, uh, it's tales of Pennsylvania folk magic and murder. Um, stray things were afoot in Pennsylvania in the early 20th century. Brutal murder in 1928 began a hex scare in the region, turning the authorities and the general public against what had always been seen as a common custom, the folk magic practice of powwowing. Prior to the bloody crime, the belief in and practice of folk magic was seen as nothing more than a quaint holdover um, for less sophisticated times. After the murder, though, it became a threat. Um, 
that was no longer seen as a backward uh, thing. I guess basically the whole thing with folk medicine and everything changed. Uh, you know, the, it said Pennsylvania hex magic dated back to the earliest days of the colony, linked largely to the Pennsylvania German for Dutch, as they are often called, immigrants and their descendants. Uh, the German settlers had strongly, strongly to elements of their culture and blending customs of the old and the new world to form a distant identity. Even their language became a unique dialect. Though there were a great many different religious denominations among the German settlers, there was a common tradition of folk magic that was practiced by all, with the exception of the plain Dutch such as the Amish, who rejected the practice for large numbers of these Germans, the belief in folk magic with their Christian beliefs. At the end of the folk magic scale was powwowing, which had nothing to do with Native American ceremonial practice of the same name. Powwowers performed magical religious folk healing and drew their healing power from God. Generally, powwowers provided cures and relief from illness, protection from evil, and removal of hexes and curses. He also locate, located lost objects, animals, and people foretold the future and provided good luck charms. To carry out their practices, they used charms, amulets, prayers, and rituals. It was generally believed that anyone could powwow, but members of certain families didn't not adapt at all. These families passed their traditions down from generation to generation. At the other end of the scale was Hexrel, or witchcraft, or black magic. Drew from power from the devil and ungodly sources. The witch harassed neighbors, committed criminal acts with supernatural powers. Sometimes witches were called hex doctors. The term hex doctor can be confusing because it can imply many things. At times, the term was applied to powwowers who were also knowledgeable in the ways of Hexrow and were skilled at battling witches and removing curses. These hex, doc hex doctors fell into a sort of gray area between a, a witch and a powwower. Sometimes they cast hexes for a price or out of revenge. It was not uncommon for someone to seek out one hex doctor to remove the curse of another. For many Pennsylvania Dutch and certainly for outsiders, Powwowers and witches cannot easily be placed in categories. There were many who labeled the use of any folk magic as witchcraft that was strictly forbidden by their religious beliefs. Now, the reason why I brought that up, uh, people are probably wondering why would you bring that up. Well, the reason why I brought this up, because this could have something to do with a lot of the paranormal activity um, that is going on in these places. Um, you know, it, it dates back probably, you know, like I was just reading about witchcraft and all that stuff. You know, it probably dates back to 1600, maybe even 1500s. Um, it seemed like the most of the time that the witchcraft was the most powerful and the most popular during that time. Well, not, I can say popular, but a lot of people that was into witchcraft was in the 1700s. 1700s to mid-1800s. So, like, all this was going on. Um... But I will say that I think some of this witchcraft, the hexes, and all this witch doctor stuff, I think it has something to do with the paranormal that a lot of this stuff goes on to. Because most of the time, people want to do witch spells and everything else. They want to try to bring back the dead. 
Well, you're trying to do that. What are you doing? You're messing with spirits. You shouldn't mess with spirits. Something you know nothing about, don't mess with that stuff. Because all you're going to do is bring a lot of problems. But there's people that seem to want to be messing with this stuff. They shouldn't be messing with this stuff, but they do. And that's why I think part of this has to be with a lot of this reason why you get a lot of this paranormal stuff is because of this. Um, I want to thank everybody tonight. I'm just going to leave you with that thought. I want to thank everybody tonight for stopping into the coffee break. I'm your host, Leon L. And everybody have a wonderful and good night.